0: Hey, Vintage family. Welcome to Vintage Online. And I know you're like me. We miss the opportunity to gather together. And uh, we're excited for that opportunity to open back up. We're still looking for mid-November. That's our goal. Uh, the team and I have been working pretty tirelessly at the building, just trying to get everything ready. And uh, for some of us, that has been organizing rooms and kids' classrooms. And for others, it has been up on a ladder working on lighting and Audio and we're excited for where it's coming. None of us really expected to have the delay be this long, but that's just kind of life. It's what happens. Sometimes you don't get the opportunity to control the narrative the way you want to. But what I do love is we can control our attitude, and we can control the fact that um, Jesus is on the throne, and it's going to be a win for us as a family. But between now and then, um, I want to keep us on pace with with the core values of who we are, and that is to study the scriptures together, and to spend some time worshiping together and taking bread and cup. Pastor Travis dealt with James chapter 2 last week, and I wanted to uh, kind of pick us back up there. In verses 1 through 9, Pastor Travis talked about this idea of showing partiality or being a respecter of persons. We really can't move into verses ten through thirteen without connecting those two ideas, because James is going to continue in his in his dialogue, and it's kind of building a case. So James will talk about this idea in uh, where someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in shabby clothes, and. For all of us, I think we probably have without, maybe we don't think about it, but I bet you, if I, if I paint this narrative, you'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen that. Okay. So let's say you're in mountain Avenue in college and you've, you're, you're out at night and you're maybe going to a restaurant. Most of us have been in a situation where we've seen people who are really struggling in life and they, they, they haven't had a chance to take a shower for a while and they're, they're, Inviting you to maybe throw a dollar their way. And there's, there for some of us, there might have been a moment where our thoughts were, that's probably not the company I want to hang out with. And you might be in shock and awe, but the truth is, all of us have thoughts like that. And yet at the same time, there are people who are dressed really well, and they're out on a date, and in us at times could be a lean towards one or the other. We might be more inclined to want to be with that person that looks good, that acts good, that is in a a, a better condition in life. That's really what James is talking about here. And he's dealing with the church and he's talking about when we gather. I think he's talking about more than when we gather. I think he's really talking about the attitudes of our heart. And he's just saying, look, if you would say to that person who's lesser than the others, we don't want you here, go over there. That's sin. It's wrong. You're guided by wrong motives. And he goes into this whole conversation about the fact that everybody's been given a place in life and we're so quick to judge why they're in where they're at. And sometimes the answer is God's giving them an opportunity towards faith more than another person. And that's really what he says. That person who's poor is deeply dependent on the Lord. Their life is motivated by faith versus the one who's wealthy. So he calls the church to say, Don't be partial. Love everybody equally. So he builds on that in verse 10. But he changes the focus. And the focus is no longer about how we view others. The focus is about understanding our own internal narrative. The person who keeps all of God's law except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you murder someone, you've broken the entire law, even if you do not commit adultery. So whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember you'll be judged by the law of love, that law that sets you free. For there will be no mercy for you if you've not been merciful to others. But if you've been merciful, then God's mercy towards you will win out over his judgment against you. So I love this passage of scripture, but there's a lot that needs to be broken down. First thing is in this verse 10, and the person who keeps all the laws of God except one is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws. Okay, some words we have to look at. The word keeps here is to guard as if to protect or keep an eye on. It's not just to watch something. It's actually to nurture it or care for it. It carries a concept of almost holding it within your protection. The word law here is moral instruction. New Testament writers would use this word to describe the moral values that Jesus gave us. So I think we could understand it this way. It's living the way of Christ, especially concerning loving other people. In this same verse, there are two words for all that are both understood differently. The first word happens in the first part of the verse and the person who keeps all of the law. The word's holos, that's a familiar word for us, holistic. We talk about holistic medicine. That's medicine that would take on the entirety of the human condition and think about all the things in our life, whether it's stress or whether it's food intake or whether it's exercise, it's looking at all of it to bring us to health. This is that same root idea. It's to be understood as maybe just living a Christian life. I think we would speak to it as, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I live in the way of Jesus. A second word for all here, which comes up in the phrase is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws is the word pas, and it means the entirety, both specific and complete. We would express it as this, they break every rule. Every being the word saying, they just constantly break the rules. So James is making this side-by-side comparison, and he continues with it by bringing two sins to the forefront. Adultery and murder are laid side by side. Now at first reading, we we would read both of these and say, these are both horrific, why would you juxtapose these two things together? But James is making a point, and his point is this. For the application to the reader, they would have understood it this way. No sin is better or worse. Perhaps they were saying, well, I've committed adultery, but I haven't murdered. Perhaps they were saying, I've, I've stolen, but I haven't committed adultery. James' answer is sin is sin. In order to really understand this, we can't look at 10 through 13 without really going back to 1 through 9, which is where we started. Because all of this conversation in 10 through 13 is rooted in verse 9, where James will, will, will utilize a word that only comes up once in the entire New Testament. This is the only place it's used. And it's the word he uses for showing respect or partiality. Temo. That's probably a terrible pronunciation. It's the only time he uses the word. The word really means to give preference or favor to someone because of an external value. And James will say this in verse 9. If you do that, you are committing sin. This showing of favor to another is breaking God's law. Why? Rooted in the Genesis story, we go back to Adam and Eve is that the reality is that humanity, and I want you to catch this for a second. I want you to think about that mountain in college story, that picture. Rooted in the Genesis story is the reality that all of humanity was created to be an image bearer of God in his image. Even in a broken state, outside of relationship with him, humanity still carries that purpose. And James is driving at this point to the level that we understand their identity. Who's they? Those outside of us. We learn how to treat them. Therefore, to partner with the wrong treatment of them is really to partner with the one who from the beginning was working to rob that identity. Could I say it this way? Your enemy hates that you bear and were created in the image of God. Because that's what he longed for most, was to be like the Most High. Chris Ballatin will teach on this a lot, and it's one of my favorite things he teaches, is that, that, that the enemy cannot stand that the thing he wanted most, Christ gave to us. So James is going to continue with this concept, but he adds greater teeth to the teaching. It's not only how we receive or view people, it actually deals with more. He goes on in verse 12 and says, so whenever you speak or whatever you do, Please remember that you will be judged by the law of love, the law that set you free. This phrase, law of love, I love the New Living Translation. It's what I like to teach from. It's what I like to read. This is actually a very weak and difficult translation of this word. The word here is liberty, and it should be understood as to be set free to walk in God's purposes. So he says you'll be judged by this law of being set free to live according to God's purpose. I want to draw our attention to the phrase, whenever you speak and whatever you do. Whatever you speak should be understood as speak this way. It's really what it reads like in the Greek. Whatever you do should be understood as act this way. What is that way? It's in a way that's motivated by remembering you have a king watching you and you're going to stand before him someday and give an account. And what you're going to give an account of, how you're going to be judged is by how you walked in God's way and purpose towards others. Now, it's easy to want to push pause and go, that's legalism, leave me alone. But the truth that James is saying here, and this is where where I said he's going to add some teeth, comes in this next verse. For there will be no mercy for you if you've not been merciful to others. But if you've been merciful, then God's mercy towards you will win out over his judgment against you. Really clear. No mercy unless merciful. That's the statement. And mercy here is to be understood as kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to actually help them. Sometimes I think there's, there's places, specifically in the Scripture, where it's a lot easier to understand the Scripture with the Scripture. For me, it's exceptionally important when we're going to use something Jesus taught to understand something in another place. If we go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 23... That's where we'll begin. And Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven could be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars he could not pay. So the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, Sir, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. The king was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debts. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. His fellow fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Please be patient and I will pay, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. So he had the man arrested and jailed until he could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were... Very upset. And they went to the king and told him what had happened. The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent him to prison until he would paid every penny. That's what my heavenly father will do if you refuse to forgive you your brothers and sisters, in your heart. Wow, that phrase, in your heart, kills me every time. I want to push pause on that and just say, this forgiving in your heart deals with this treatment towards others. And I don't want to get off course with where we're at, but that phrase caught me because I think sometimes we forgive in function, but we hold in our heart the anger and the resentment. Yikes, that verse is so clear. That Jesus expects us to really wash ourselves of our anger and forgive others. So James here in in chapter two, verses 10 through 13, is reiterating the truth that Jesus taught his disciples. Mercy received must translate into mercy given. But I love that James adds a hope that if we choose to live this way, if we choose to follow this example, when, not if, when we stand before him, he's going to choose on our behalf to overshadow his own judgment with his mercy. He's going to look at us and go, you knew my way. You knew how to show mercy, so I'm going to be merciful to you. So this isn't a fear message. It's a tutorial. Our king, the one whose image we bear, wants us, the image bearers, to reflect him properly on earth. So we put it all together. What James is saying here is in order to do that, we must view, handle, and embrace others as he does. We are to view others as his image bearers, treating them with love. Both acting and speaking this way. And as we learn to do that, we're actually protecting ourselves from judgment. There's this phrase I love mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is what James is talking about here. We have a choice we can make. We can live merciful to others. We can choose not to exact the pound of flesh that we know we deserve. We can choose to forgive. We can choose to act like our king who was fully right, like the the king in the narrative, would have been fully right to demand what was due him, but instead chose to say, I forgive you. And my challenge to us is that we become people that are like that, people that understand how to walk that way, how to live that way. I hope that changes how we live in the marketplace. I hope that changes how we live in our homes. I hope it challenges us. Every time we wanna get angry and hold a grudge or, or defend our position, that we would just push pause and say, I've been freed up by him. I get to give mercy because that's what he gave me. Love you. Have a great week.